there and back again, I should say, when to the endless rest are called away. And back again. Yes, yes, you got that from many sermons ago, yeah? We don't have our hope in a far-off land of which we are completely ignorant of, but our greatest hope is in the resurrection when Christ comes back and brings heaven to the earth. And that is much of what we're talking about today as we consider glorifying God in Sabbath rest, in Sabbath delight. Bringing that message from the book of Hebrews, and thank you, uh, we are mindful of standing in the honor of the Word of God, and so we're going to Hebrews chapter 4, and I will uh, suggest that the text this morning not stop at verse 10, which is in the, the liturgy, but in verse 11. Hear the Word of God. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the world which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Our gracious Father in heaven, this day we ask that you would illuminate the Scripture with the Spirit. O Spirit, we call upon you to fall fresh upon us this day and that you would open up and illuminate the word that you have inspired men to give, that this before us is the very word of God. We can see the glory of Christ, and so be changed from glory to glory into His likeness. We can see the glory of the Father through Christ, and so praise Him and find our delight in this rest that you provide us this day. And so we ask that you would bring forth a harvest of spiritual fruit from the lives of us here today. As the word goes forth, may it return to you with great joy, with praise, with adoration to whom it is all due. And so we ask this in the strong name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. We've been covering the vision of heritage in 2020. This unusual year, but a very good year. It's a very good year. 
And as we begin to think through the vision, this morning I want us to consider one of the most important topics that I will cover the entire year long. Glorifying God in Sabbath delight. This will be one of the most important concepts of our vision that I will discuss pertaining to the essence of this very vision both now and tomorrow and for the rest of the duration of this church life, Lord willing, until Christ comes. Once we understand proper Sabbath rest and give ourselves to it, our delight in God, our potency in the world will escalate to something quite beyond ourselves and even beyond our imaginations, and we will truly see the blessings of God and the hand of God upon us. Our Sabbath observance is a constant work in progress here among us. It is even in my own family, in my own life. And I don't want us to let up from leaning in to the sinful and fleshy tendencies that we have that keeps us distracted from pursuing this Sabbath rest with greater zeal and greater delight. Now let's consider Sabbath rest from creation. It's a brief summary of what we actually covered some this past Tuesday morning in co-op. And if you weren't here, I'll give you a quick rundown. When God created in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, it was a construction project of sorts. And it wasn't finished. There was in Genesis 1 and 2... Uh, Heptatic structure, sevenfold. A sevenfold structure, heptatic. I think that word means sevenfold. So if you hear me say that again, I'll refer back to it because sevenfold is an important concept in this construction project that God begins in Genesis. There were six days of creation which were six literal days, but it corresponds to six stages of construction of a temple, of temple construction, at the end of which, and on the sixth day, God created man in his own image, and he puts his image in his temple. We find that the likeness of many uh, pagan temples have followed this kind of pattern, because there's only one true story and everything else than is an imposter of that true story. But God puts His image in the temple. An image of God in man to reflect God out into His world and creation. As man were to take dominion over all of the world, he would to take then the love of God and the stewardship of God out into all of the creation that God had created. And it was all very good. And then man gathers up all of the praises of that creation and he brings them back into the garden and he then gives voice to the very praises of all of creation before the presence of God. And hence, you can refer back to the message that I preach that we are priests and kings. We really are a kingly priesthood in this manner. And so we, we have this vocation 
as a royal priesthood and giving praise to God as the voice of all of creation and reflecting Him back out into His wonderful good world. And this all happened in six days. But the seventh was a Sabbath. Now the Sabbath was when God was finished with the construction of this temple in the garden, in Eden, in this world, and created it all and said it was all very good. Then on the seventh day, God came down to dwell in this holy place, this place of good. And he walked in the cool of the day with man, his image. And he communed with him and he fellowshiped with him. And it was this Sabbath day that God rested from his work. He was satisfied and could just sit back and enjoy the goodness of what he had done. And hear the praises of the creation. And to fellowship with man in the garden. He took his rest in his temple. And that's the idea of Sabbath. The essence of Sabbath is the time that God rests in his temple with man, enjoying all the goodness of creation. And this is the time where man gives expression to all of creation's praise. Now after the fall... God separated from man, drove him out of the garden. The garden that he was designed to protect and keep. But now, cherub has to do that because of man's fall. The image has been marred. It looks like the project was over. But no, that is not the, the plan of God, for in the mind of God and before the foundation of the world, the project was going to succeed and it will continue. And so after God separated man from the garden and drove him out, the project then continues. And he establishes a covenant with Abraham. He already tells Abraham through all of all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him yet his people are going to find their way down into Egypt and be in bondage to slavery for 400 and 430 years they're going to be then brought back out and given to this land of promise and so we have this narrative and as God then brings his people out of Egypt just like he said he delivers them from bondage. He delivers them from Egypt. And he, they go out and they are heading into the promised land. And the first thing that God does is He instructs them to build the tabernacle. Tabernacle. A pattern after the heavenly things where once again God would come and tabernacle with his own people. And his people can have rest from all of that hard bondage and slavery and enjoy the good land that God had given them. Then we find later as David the king establishes peace in the land that there was a permanent form of that tabernacle that we call the temple. 
And Solomon then builds the temple. We look at the tabernacle and the temple, again, in this heptatic structure, the sevenfold structure that was given in Genesis 1 and 2. Clearly identifying with the six stages of this construction project in the seventh where God comes and his, He rests in His temple among His people. For instance, even in Solomon's tabernacle, we see the seven stages of this creative aspect and pattern, this heptatic structure. It was in the seventh year. It took seven years to build uh, the tabernacle. The project took seven years, but the seventh year of that was called a Sabbath. It thus connects the seven days of creation with the seven years of Solomon's temple project. The temple dedication occurs during the Feast of the Tabernacles, which is in the seventh month. And for seven days, they then had the wonderful Sabbath feast before God as they then celebrate what God is doing among His people. Solomon's speech during the temple dedication included seven petitions. We see where we cannot miss this heptatic structure that identifies it back with Genesis 1 and 2. Now a restoration of these things. These were earthly patterns of heavenly things. Now at the end of the construction of both the tabernacle as well as the permanent form of the temple, which was more glorious, God's glory comes down in the glory cloud and He rests there in the presence of the Holy of Holies right among God's people and He invites them to come into His presence. Something that nobody is allowed to do. They're the unholy and common cannot come into the presence of the holy, but God, the Holy One, has made a way for His people to come in and rest in His rest. Enjoy His blessings. This was God coming down among us to take His rest. We see this Sabbath coming at the end of these projects. Psalm 132 even associates the experience of Solomon's temple with rest. It's interesting to note that David labored to give the land rest from war, but it would not be him that would build the temple, but his son who is called a son or a man of rest. See, six days and then followed by the rest. There's narratives that are upon narratives and they nestle and layer upon one another to give us a full orbed and a very deep understanding of what God is doing for us here. So the labor and the temple construction was toward the end so that Sabbath rest could be enjoyed with the presence of God. 
Each of these temple projects became more glorious than their previous one. The tabernacle was, was the first of its kind on the earth. But then the temple was more glorious than the tabernacle. That's why when the people began to see the, the, the second temple, they began to weep because there, it wasn't as glorious. But in fact, it would be because of the one who would come into that temple. It was prophesied that God Himself would come into His temple. That the Messiah would come into His temple. The Messiah would be God dwelling in person in His temple. And that is why the impetus was there and the encouragement in the post-exilic prophets get to busy on building this temple because the Messiah will come. We don't want to slow down the progress. And so really, the second temple was going to be more glorious than even Solomon's, not because of the structure, but because of the person. And so God Himself came down. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word tabernacled dwelt among men. And when Christ did come, He would destroy these temporal, human-made temples because He was about to raise up the glorious temple in the resurrected body united together with His people. And that, that would be the new temple. This heptatic four or sevenfold structure of temple building with Sabbath rest at its end is the broad context for our passage that we have before us this morning. The passage before us is a passage on the reality of Sabbath Rest. I know sometimes we get into Sabbath discussions and we talk about which day. We talk about what to do. And we're missing the entirety of the picture of delighting in the presence of God who dwells among His people. In no way is the reality of Sabbath that has come into the presence with us in Christ nullifies a one in seven day period here on earth where we come together to enjoy the presence of God in His temple. In this day, this Lord's day, that we spend a 24-hour period of time to gather up creation's praise and to come and give it voice in the temple where the people of God, united in with the body of Christ, make this place the glorious place of God's dwelling. This is a day of feasting, not of fasting. This is a day with feasting with God. This is a day of fellowshipping with God, sitting at His feet and basking in His glory. That's why we gather here this day. It's what we're doing here right now. 
And we spend our day with God's people, fellowshipping with God, studying God, talking about His works, declaring His goodness, speaking of the wonders. In verse 1 and 2 of our passage before us, we have a warning against not entering into this rest. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you come short of it. The rest here spoken of was God's rest that he himself enjoys as he rests in the goodness of his creation. And by extension, after the fall, God went to work again. And when Christ finally finishes the work of God in redemption, He takes His rest, and God rests again. He takes His rest in the temple. He comes down in the glory, and He dwells among His people, and He rests with us. So the rest we enter today is God's rest from the completion of, of, of creation, which was very good. But after the fall, it all suffers and groans. But now, you're a new creature in Christ. Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we enjoy this today through faith. Verse 3 through 5 passage quotes from Genesis 2. Creation, Sabbath rest, when God completed all of His works and He came and He came down in His temple and He rested with delight. It's the place of God's presence. The time when He rested was the Sabbath. But then in verses 3-5, through He quotes at least twice in three references to Psalm 95, which is a call to worship. O come and let us sing and bow down before the Lord our Creator. Come and let us worship. That's where we started in our call of worship this morning with Psalm 95. But some did not heed the call to worship. They did not heed the call to enter into the rest because of their unbelief. We see from this passage that Entering God's rest is coming into the presence of God in worship. That's what we come to do. We come to enjoy God. And what do we do when we enjoy God in His presence? We worship. How can you but not worship? And the call of worship is to enter into God's rest. Sabbath rest today can only be realized by faith. True worship only happens through faith and faithful worshipers. You will not receive any benefits from the table in just a moment if you are not coming and eating in faith. But if you do eat in faith, you will receive tremendous benefits, the likes of which my words cannot express. 
Believing the gospel is essential to truly enjoying God's rest and enjoying worship. If you come here on the Lord's Day and you don't enjoy the time that you have here in this hour, or if the sermon goes a little long and you begin chafing in your spirit, the reason is because of your unbelief. You're not understanding what's going on in whose presence you are and what a glorious transcendent time out of space and time, but in space and time. The eternal meets with the earthly and through the ladder of Jacob, Christ himself, the mediator, brings the two together and through faith in this day is what is required. But in verse 6, we notice that faith is linked to disobedience, or faith is linked to obedience, and unbelief is linked to disobedience. The reason that our fathers did not enter into the promised land, a figure of Sabbath rest, was because of their unbelief. They did not go in because they did not believe God. All I could see were the giants in the land and the the structures and the fortified cities and the armies and all they could see was what their eyes would tell them. But God said in His Word, I will go with you and before you and I will fight your enemy. Now go. But they did not obey because they did not believe. Those always go together. And so they did not enter into their rest because they did not obey, and they did not obey because they did not believe. We can only obey God if we first believe Him, and if we don't believe Him, we're not going to obey. That's why in the very end of chapter 3, it cues it up for chapter 4. It says, And to whom He did swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of their unbelief. And we see they did not obey because of their unbelief. So they did not believe in God. They feared They didn't enter God's rest because of controlling fears. Fears that controlled them from doing what is right. Fears that controlled them from obeying God. Fears because they did not trust Him. They did not believe the gospel. See, keeping Sabbath was a test of their faith. He tested them, did he not, when the manna began to rain down? He says, now I'm going to test you. And he says, literally, I'm going to test you in this. Six days, go and gather up twice as much, because on the seventh, I'm not going to cause it to rain with the manna. Some people went out on the seventh anyway, because they did not trust the Lord. Keeping Sabbath is a test of faith. And the enjoyment of Sabbath is an exercise of faith. But you can enjoy the Sabbath through faith. Now verses 7 through 8, then, again he says, I designate a certain day, saying David. David is now saying, today, 
after such a long time, because David is now speaking some 400 years or so later, and he says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then he reflects back on what happened when the people did go into the promised land through the leadership of Joshua, for if Joshua had given them rest, they would not have afterwards spoke of another day. But they're still speaking about Sabbath. We're in the promised land. David lived a good bit after Joshua had entered and claimed the land, and here was a figure, the land again, a figure of Sabbath rest, but David was still talking about it some 400 years after Joshua had claimed it. Now entering the promised land and a complete defeat of all of the enemies would be the figure of that rest that God had promised. But David's still talking about it. And of all people, David, who finally defeated all of the enemies so that there was rest in the land. He's still talking about it. So not only in the day of Joshua after they had come in, but even in David's day, he's still talking about another day of rest. Something still is yet to be. And so when the people had rest from all of their enemies, the next thing on the project timeline in David's life would have been the building of the temple, the permanent tabernacle. But the problem of David's day and beyond his day is that the presence of God in his temple will still be veiled from men. And there would still be yet another and a more complete Sabbath rest for the people of God. So David still spoke about another day. And you know what? The writer of Hebrews is doing exactly the same thing that David did. Yes, there has been rest in figurative forms, and there has been a certain aspect of rest, but there still remains a rest for the people of God. And so while Christ did come, and He defeated all of the enemies, because Christ is the David, He was the one who then slew all of our enemies and God's enemies, He did the same thing that David did, but in real form. And so he then gives us Sabbath rest. But there still remains a Sabbath rest for us today. And that's where he says in verse 9, and he wants to draw our attention to it in such a unique way that he gives us a unique word to be mindful. This is what he's talking about. Yes, Christ has given us rest. He has delivered us out of bondage. He has brought us into the promised land, but there still remains <laughs> glory. So he says in verse 9, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. This word rest here is an unusual word. It's the word that literally is sabbatismos. And you can almost hear the word sabbatismos. Sabbath rest is its meaning. There therefore literally yet still awaits the people of God a Sabbath rest. And in verse 10 and 11 he explains this. 
For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Now he's speaking about Christ. Christ dies upon the cross. He goes into the grave. He ascends back up on the third day. Ascends back up into glory. He enters His rest. His work is done once and for all. He enters His rest. He comes to earth. He works for our redemption. He suffers on the cross in our behalf so that we might enter into God's Sabbath rest in the Holy of Holies. So that when Christ, who was the David, came to defeat all of our enemies, when He died upon the cross now, the veil in the temple ripped in two. And that veil, we are expressly told in Hebrews, was His flesh. Therefore, now no longer any veil between us and God. Now we can come directly into the presence of God through Christ. When He rent the veil in that temple, He destroyed the temple. You tear this temple down and I'm going to build it back up in three days. And that is exactly what He did. He Himself has now entered into His rest just like God did His when He finished the first temple project in creation. And now in the new creation, Christ enters into His rest. And when Christ's work is completed, He takes His rest. First day of the week. See, this is the reason why redemption is always related to creation. The two go together. Creation is not one work of God and redemption another work. In fact, we can look at it that way, but they're all an integral part of the works of God inseparably united together in this tremendous construction project. And the new heaven and the new earth, which is the ultimate temple where God has His rest together with the temple and the, the heaven comes down upon the earth that we read in Revelation 21 and 22. And there's this eternal Sabbath where it is pictured where God's presence is among His people. It is that Sabbath rest that still awaits the people of God. And therefore, verse 11 exhorts us to labor to enter that rest. Be diligent to enter that rest. And this is not suggesting that we work for our salvation. This is not a man working in order to gain merit to achieve that which God only gives by grace. But see, the work here is a result of and a fruit of our faith. Which has been the case throughout chapters 3 and 4. The whole point of Hebrews is to keep us from drawing back from the faith and to be faithful to show forth the works 
meet for repentance and as a fruit of a true, genuine trust in God. True faith brings obedience. And the work he's referring to is analogous to the six days of work so that when that is finished, we can enter into God's rest. God worked for six days and rested. Christ worked for six days, days and rested. We are to follow now in the pattern that God has set forth and continue our earthly labors and ministry, faithfully living it out so that we may ultimately enter into the grand and glorious Sabbath rest that yet awaits us in glory. And so important is this principle of Sabbath rest. It is inseparably wrapped up in our entire salvific experience in Christ. And it's also wrapped up in the entirety of the narrative of salvific history. From creation, through the fall, through the old covenant, into the new, and right into glory. You know, the penalty for breaking Sabbath under the old covenant was capital punishment. As though you murdered a man, and now you must give your life. That's how important delighting in the Sabbath is. The ultimate penalty for breaking Sabbath The ultimate penalty for breaking Sabbath is eternal damnation. Because you do not delight in what God delights in. Because you don't trust Him. And because you don't trust Him, you will not obey the gospel. But God never intended the Sabbath to be a pejorative concept or one that carries with it negative connotations. No. Sabbath is a delight. Properly understood, it's a joy. It's something that we long for. It's something that we need. There is a sense in the New Covenant that Aspects of Old Covenant Sabbath keeping are now fulfilled in Christ. And that's why we have the Colossians passage that says, do not let anyone judge you in meat or drink, or of Sabbath days or new moons. See, Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ. And so there are aspects of the administry, administration of the Old Covenant that are done away with. Now that does not mean that one in seven days is something that God has removed from our calendar of God's space and God time. But because Sabbath rest is fulfilled in Christ, in no way annuls a Sabbath rest, a 24-hour period of time in which we are called to worship Him, and so we so delightfully do. If you take it in a negative, you're not delighting in it. Oh, man, i got to go do this today. Oh, what are you talking about? Oh, do I have to do this? Do I have to... You're looking at it all wrong. You're looking at it through unfaithful eyes, through disobedient eyes. You're looking at it through human eyes. You're looking at it completely not understanding where we are 
right now? Whom really is speaking to you in your hearts and minds? If I were Elisha, I could just say, Lord, open up their eyes, would you? But I'm not Elisha. (laughs) I'm not a prophet nor a son of a prophet. But I can at least tell you what the Word says. See, God has provided a glorious day of worship in the midst of six days of labor. And God will ensure, if you trust Him, He will compensate you. He will pay you, if I can use that word. Seven days of wages when you only work for six. You get a paid holiday. The next time you start grumbling about Sabbath, if you truly are delighting, you're getting paid for this day for not working. But not only do we need to experience a physical day of rest among six from our physical labor that properly frames it, more importantly, we need to experience a day of spiritual rest in the presence of God among six days of spiritual striving. Anybody had a tough week this past week? Spiritually? Did you strive and were there tensions? This is the day of resolution. This is part of the seven-day rhythm of tension and resolution that we come into the temple of God and our senses return to us. And we shout out, glory! And it's not about us, but it's about Him. And when it's all about Him, then all of a sudden we get caught up in that. Man, we need this spiritual day after spiritual striving. It is important in the vision of heritage to understand the Sabbath rest. That God has provided His people and to observe this Sabbath rest. No, to delight in Sabbath rest for a 24-hour period of time for the entirety of a day, eight of which you'll probably be sleeping. There's some good physical rest right there. You might even go home and take some extra nap time and get another couple of hours in. So ten more 10 hours of your day, but that leaves 14 remaining where you can be cognizant and awake and alert. Okay, I see some smiles. We'll give you four more hours of nap time. Now you've got 12 whole hours left in the day to delight cognitively and consciously and then vibrantly after your 12 hours of sleep to enjoy God in His presence and bask in His glory, and to take of creation and and speak it back to God and to bring the rocks which cry out praise and say, Lord, look at that El Capitan in Yosemite. What marvelous, grand works you are. Oh, and look at this little piece of granite right here that the kids brought in and think rocks are so neat that they collect rocks. They bring them into the house. I track them in on the bottom of my shoes, and they are a nuisance. The kids collect them and bring them all over the place, and they are glorious. Yes, they are glorious. 
Open our eyes, God, that we can see and give voice to the works that you have done. See, we need to delight in this 24-hour period of time that God has given us, which is an ethereal, eternal moment in our space-time experience to have a transcendent time, if I can even use that word, an eternal moment as we come together with the eternal God who dwells outside of time and space, who has decided to come into time and space so that we might in Him have our delight. And so we come in a manner that glorifies God. Seek to glorify God by your own delight in Him. And when you glorify God in your delight of Him, your delight goes up. This day must be set aside to cease from all of your activities that you would normally do through your six days. It doesn't mean just merely your work labors, but it means your pleasure labors. It means your recreation and the kinds of things that you would do other kinds of six days of the week. Now, it doesn't mean that all enjoyment of recreation is out on this day. I don't believe so. But it needs to be set apart, distinct and distinguished from, and that's what Isaiah is saying, if you just cease from doing your own things, your own pleasures, and even speaking your own words. Was that not what we talked about last Lord's Day in fellowshipping with God and one another? We don't need to talk about work yesterday or the work tomorrow. We need to talk about the finished work of Jesus. This is a day of celebration and feasting with God. It's a day of true fellowship, one with another. It's a day of ceasing our striving against sin as we come to foretaste the eternal glorious Sabbath that yet waits the people of God when He comes down in Christ and brings heaven to earth. Revelation 21 says in that time there will not be any more temple upon the earth because God and the Lamb are the temple. And this is where why Hebrews, the very book that we're in, says that Christ is the liturgist of the sanctuary, Hebrews 8.2. That's why in Hebrews 12 it says we come to Zion this day when we come to worship. That's why in Hebrews 2 it says He's not ashamed to call us His brethren to whom He brings into glory. And there He then declares the Father's name in the midst of the congregation. And there He leads our praise. Jesus is our worship leader. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our preacher today of the word that the Spirit has given. The temple that we enter now is the very risen body of Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is the temple. That risen body in flesh and blood, united to His church in flesh and blood, is the temple of the living God where He comes to dwell among and in His people and Christ today has brought us into the presence of God to rejoice in Him and to declare His glory. It's a day of ceasing from our activities and our strivings with sin 
And sometimes we get so geared up in our lifestyle, it's so hard for us to take a Sabbath rest because we just go, 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 go. And the rhythm of our life is so out of sorts that we can't come to a place where we can just rest. So we need some more training. We need rhythm training. We need Sabbath training. And we need to train ourselves in an ongoing way for this necessary rhythm of life. Today, today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Folks at Heritage spend this entire day rejoicing and talking of the things of God. Train yourself out of the common talk of work. Cease from your labors, even from your common entertainments and activities that you normally do on other days in order to rest with God. Because Isaiah says, if you turn away your feet from trampling down the Sabbath and from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and if you call the Sabbath a delight, if you call the holy day that God has given you honorable, and you will honor God not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you will delight yourself in the Lord. And I, the Lord says, will cause you to ride upon the high hills of the earth and feed with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken this. And when you learn to delight in this way, God says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Trust Him. Trusting. Folks, this is one of the biggest and most profound problems today in the church of Jesus Christ. One of the biggest and most profound problems today in the church is not that we are not doing enough to save the unborn babies, as important as that is. It is not that people are going to hell every single hour and that we are not evangelizing the lost in the world as we should, which is also important. But the biggest problem in the church today is that we're not delighting in the Sabbath. Taking a 24-hour period of time to truly delight in God. To rest in his rest. To spend the entire day in praise and thanksgiving and talking holy things with one another about our holy God and to have an enjoyment in what God has done, is doing, and will complete. And once we can learn this and grow in this, the church will be potent in all the battles we have to fight because the Lord goes with us. Do you trust Him? He goes before you. Do you trust Him? And in all of our labors, and all of our strivings will have its proper context when it's framed with a truly delightful Sabbath rest. As an important part of the vision of heritage it is a recovery of true Sabbath rest and observance. 
Not in a legal way, but in a gracious way. In a true delight. Not making up a bunch of rules and regulations so that when we can check, check off. But truly knowing what it's like to come into the presence of God, into the presence of holy. And enjoy God for all He's worth. And this will be one of the most important aspects to our vision as we move forward in this church. As many good things as we're doing, it will have zero effect if we're not about this. And we all have a part to play in this. We all have to cultivate this continually. Leaning into the fleshy desires and to the sinful tendencies in our words and our activity. We need to be preparing more for this on Saturday and Saturday night when the time you go to bed. If this is that important. Now, if you think about your Sabbath beginning in the evening of Saturday and going to the evening of the Lord's Day, that should help you. In the evening and morning were the first day. In the evening and the morning were the second. In the evening and the morning were the seventh. In the evening and the morning were the first. But I think also as you prepare for this day, be praying for our time today. Not only our time in the matins, not only in our time right now, but pray for our entire day together. Or the entire activity. Pray for our words. Pray for our spirit. And protect this day from things that are destructive and things that are distracting from our delight in God. May God help us as we constantly grow in this endeavor of delighting in Sabbath. God says, test me in this, and you'll see. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would square us up with the plumb line of your truth in the Scriptures, and square our lives up that we would trust you in this, and that we would delight in our God this day, in the entirety of the day, even through the challenges as well as the the, the wonderful things, whatever the day may bring, we pray that we would delight in our God. In this world, we see things through a glass darkly, but then we will see Him face to face and how much we long for that grand and glorious fulfillment of jubilee when Christ comes back. But until then, may we be faithful in laboring in the ministry that You've given to us and that we would take heed that we would fulfill it but that we would also, each Lord's Day, have this rhythm of rest for our souls that would energize us once again for the work we go out to do. Lord, this life will certainly be short and it will pass away soon. May we be found faithful in clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is God that works in us and through us to do of His good will and pleasure. So may we be pleased and delighted in that which you're pleased in and what you're delighted in and maybe be one in this with you in Jesus name amen